Dragnet. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. We offer you Escape. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. The Jack Benny Program. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. Countdown for blast off. X minus one. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari. Welcome to Episode 8 of Retro Radio Theater, featuring a full hour of programming from the golden age of radio. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts or visit us on SeniorResource.com, your number one source for retirement planning, caregiving tips, and living your best. This time, it's two comedy radio episodes, Fibber McGee and Molly starring Jim and Marion Jordan and The Great Gildersleeve starring Hal Perry. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening, who should call right now? Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-494-8310. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. In the early 30s, real-life married couple Jim and Marion Jordan tried their hands at the fledgling medium of radio and created the endearing comedy series Fibber McGee and Molly. Fibber and Molly lived at 79 Wistful Vista, a branch of suburbia with friendly neighbors who stopped by to visit them and offer sage wisdom to Fibber's craftsmanship, whether it be fixing the mailbox or hanging Christmas lights. A slice of American life with a movie house in town, a department store, a friendly mailman who never hesitated to take a moment and chat with the McGee's, and a gossip society consisting of a little old lady's sewing circle. Fibber McGee and Molly today remains evident why the program represented the best of Main Street, USA. For a short time, their next-door neighbor was Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve, who displayed a smug personality complex and became the perfect foil for Windbag McGee. Their long-standing feuds once culminated with a duel involving water hoses. Harold Perry played the next-door neighbor character with such bravado that NBC ultimately gave way to a spin-off, The Great Gildersleeve, which became a long-standing radio program of its own success. The McGees had a made-for-a-spell, Beulah, who also branched off with a short-lived spin-off. A mainstay on radio, Fibber McGee and Molly, lasted until 1956. This time, the old-timer is hiding out from the FBI and asks Fibber and Molly for their help. Here's Fibber McGee and Molly starring Jim and Marion Jordan from October 27, 1942.
The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Who Cares? You know, if things just didn't wear out, we wouldn't have so many little problems right now. When your one and only electric toaster or vacuum cleaner goes out of commission now, it's a serious matter. It really pays to take extra good care of everything you have. Now, the best way to do this is by using things properly and, of course, keeping them serviced and oiled and cleaned. Many things you can protect simply by applying a coat of Johnson's Wax. Your floors, furniture, and woodwork, for example, are actually safeguarded against wear and against dirt with a tough coat of wax. Likewise, your window sills, Venetian blinds, leather goods, and enameled surfaces. Most housekeepers know that the shield of wax also gives rich beauty to these surfaces and saves many hours of cleaning and housework. But today, when conservation is so important, the protection which Johnson's Wax offers is its number one contribution. Well, as we visit Wistful Vista tonight, we find our friend... One side there, Sonny, one side. Hey, what's your hurry? Who do you want to see? Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> hey, kids, leave me in. Open up there, kids. Mr. Oldtimer, what on earth is the matter? Leave me in, kids, leave me in. Hey, what is this anyway, Halloween? <laughs> You gotta hide me, Johnny. They're after me. Well, I'll give you a hiding, all right. What's the idea of beating our front door into kindling wood? You mean kindling. I said kindling, didn't I? <laughs> Come on, kids, please. This ain't any time for even a good joke. Hide me someplace. Now, now, now. Calm yourself, Mr. Oldtimer. We won't let anybody hurt you. Who's after you? The cops. The FBI. What? Everybody. They're all after me. Oh, my. They catch me, I'll go to prison for a hundred years. Well, when we come to see you, will you introduce me to Humphrey Bogart? <laughs> oh, daughter, daughter, daughter. I ain't fooling. You gotta hide me. I tell you, I'm a fugitive. Well, quit fidgeting, fugitive. What's this all about? You must have done something pretty serious Yes, the FBI doesn't chase people for matching nickels I know it, kids, I know it I got it coming to me I never should have done it Oh my! I've always been a good boy I guess I'm just a weak character Yeah, and this is your last weak character If you don't start talking <laughs> What did you do? I didn't realize what I was doing was so bad, Johnny First time I noticed I was being followed was this afternoon I was on my way to the dentist and dreading it, too. Why? And he says I gotta have braces on my teeth. <laughs> so when I started for home... I thought you were going to the dentist. I was, but I had to go home and get my teeth, didn't I? <laughs> well, sir, I see the fellow behind me. Looked like an FBI man. How can you tell an FBI man when you see him? 
Well, he was wearing a Hoover collar and, uh... uh... Oh, criminy kids, here they are. Hide me. Get me out of sight. Okay, okay. Get behind the davenport. Hurry now, hurry. Pull your feet in. There, that's it. It'll be kind of hard to explain two people with six feet. We're putting ourselves in a bad spot, Molly. You know that, don't you? We're accessories. So what's an accessory? A bumper is an accessory. And what's a bumper for? To take the bumps. Now, if we can't take a few bumps for a friend... Come in! Oh, it's it's Mrs. Uppington. You don't know how glad we are to see you, Abigail. Uh, how do you do, my dear? I'm Mr. McGee. Uh, hi, Uppy. You ain't exactly who we were... I mean, uh, we thought somebody else... <laughs> How's everything, Uppy? <laughs> Splendid, just splendid, Mr. McGee. I thought I just... Uh... <laughs> Mr. McGee, do you have to do that? Do what, Abigail? What's he doing? Chewing his necktie. Oh, that's, that's just a habit I got, Uppy. <laughs> always chew my necktie when I, get ner- uh, when I think about something. <laughs> yeah, he always does that, Abigail. Yeah. I tried to break him of it by making him wear bow ties, but he kept spraining his neck to get at them. <laughs> <laughs> Have a chair, Uppy. Uh, yes, thank you. I, I'll just sit over here on the Davenport. No, no, no. Not there, Abby. Uh, I, I beg your pardon? Well, the, the, the Davenport is broken, Abby. The spring's busted. Liable to get stabbed. I mean... Uh... <laughs> here, sit over here. But your hat is on that chair, Mr. McGee. That isn't his hat. That's a straw hat, and McGee always wears it. <clears throat> or is that your hat? Oh, I sure. That's my hat. I just bought it this morning. Oh, really? <laughs> well, this fresh autumn air really turns them yellow in no time, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, he bought it secondhand. He never wears a straw hat past the middle of November anyway. <laughs> what can we do for you, Abigail? Well, I just dropped in, my dear, to see if... <laughs> Good heavens. Was that a sneeze? be that darn cat that keeps coming in here. <laughs> kitty, kitty, kitty. Where are you, kitty? Meow. <laughs> Meow. Poor little thing has a cold. Now, what were you saying, Abigail? Well, I just wanted to know, my dear, if you would go down to the federal building with me. I want to see the FBI. Oh, heavenly days. That cat has knocked over the lamp. Doggone you, old-time cat. Can't you be a little more careful? <laughs> What you going to see the FBI about, Uppy? Find a German spy in your sauerkraut? <laughs> oh, no. No, Mr. McGee, I want to register my fingerprints in their voluntary civilian files. My brother in Washington suggested it. Oh, you got a brother in Washington? What does he do? He's a lobbyist. Oh, we don't care where he sleeps. What does he do? <laughs> well, I don't quite know, my dear. It has something to do with the farm lobby. I believe he's a rainmaker. A rainmaker. Bosh. A likely story. Nobody can make rain. Well, possibly not, Mr. McGee. All I know is what people tell me. They say he's been under a cloud for some time. Well, I'm sorry, you can't come with me. Goodbye. (laughs) All right, Mr. Oldtimer, you can come out now. I'm sorry you brought that lamp, kids, but I was getting a cramp in my leg under the Davenport. Hey, why can't I hide in here next time? No, 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 you can't hide in there. No, no, don't open that door. Why not, kid? Seems like this would be a perfect no. place to... Oh, I see what you mean.
look, old-timer, we're your friends, and we'll go to bat for you up to a point. Yeah, so let's get to the point. Okay, kids, but I hate to tell you, if I go to Leavenworth, it's gonna break Mama's heart. I was her favorite boy. I was always the one they cut down Papa's best pants for. How many brothers did you have? Didn't have any, just three sisters. You ever seen my sister Eileen? My sister Eileen is a play, isn't it? Not mine, she's a sketch. <laughs> I mind one time she... Oh, for goodness sakes, Mr. Oldtimer, tell us what you've done. Why are the police after you? Yeah, make with a confession. Well, I don't know right where to start, kids. We'll start right at the beginning. Yeah. All righty. Well, sir, I was born in Terre Haute, Indiana. <laughs> one of two twin boys. Papa takes one look at us and says, let's keep this one and drown t'other one. <laughs> and that's how I learned to swim. <laughs> Several years later, hey, I was hey, in the reservoir. Hey, 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 Skip your first childhood and get to the second one, old-timer. <laughs> we don't want the story of your life. I should say not. At 35 miles an hour, your autobiography would be pretty slow-moving. <laughs> now, what'd you do to get the FBI after you? Uh, I've been un-American, daughter. I'm a traitor to my country. I'm just a dirty old Benefit Arnold. It was... <laughs> It was Benedict, and quit crying in my root beer. Come on, now talk. Well, sir, it's going to do me good to get it off my mind. So here it goes. I was born in Terre Haute, Indiana. An old crime against the cops, kids. Get me a handful of beans, daughter. What for? Got a bean shooter in my pocket. I'll shoot my way out. They'll never take me alive. I'll learn. Oh. <laughs> you talk like the bad half of a double feature. Scram into the dining room. No, 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 the other door. That's it. And if anybody comes in there, just lie down on a pickle dish and put on a dilly expression. <laughs> okay, McGee, let him in. Come in. Oh, for goodness sakes, Billy Mills. Hello, Mom. Hello, Skip. Hi, Billy. Uh, won't you come down and sit in for a moment? I mean, uh, won't you take off your chair and uh, have a coat, Mr. Mills? <laughs> She's kind of nervous today, Bill. <laughs> she means, won't you give your hips a downbeat? Oh, thanks. <laughs> I just want to tell you I saw your new picture. Here we go again. Oh, did you really? How'd you like it, Billy? What do you mean, how'd I like it? I admitted I saw it, didn't I? Do I have to get nasty about it? A fine thing. <laughs> well, what a knob reaction. Yeah, I hope it ain't nationwide. Okay, old-timer, you can come out now. Oh, thanks, kids. I sure had me scared for a minute. Well, I don't know why. You've known Mr. Mills for years. It wasn't him I was scared of, daughter. All the time I was in the dining room, somebody kept ringing the back door buzzer. We haven't got any buzzer on our back door. Oh, I must have, Johnny. Heard it as plain... Wait a minute now. Where were you in the dining room? Under the table, daughter. On the side toward oh, the... Oh, you were sitting on the service buzzer. What's that? That's a signal for the maid to bring in the next course. If we had a maid. If we ate our dinner in courses... Only we don't have a maid, and we eat in the kitchen, and we call it supper. And after this, watch where you sit. Yes. Now, before somebody else comes in, let's have your story. All righty. I was born in Terre Haute, Indiana. Poor but honest No, parents. no, 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 no. Skip that. What are the cops after you for? Hey? Oh, oh, yeah. Well, kids, you're going to despise me for it when I tell you. I guess I'm... Hello, folks. What's frying? Fry me. It's a cop. They got me. They're going to fry me. <laughs> Help, kids. Hold him while I make a break for Oh, it. here, here. Calm yourself, Mr. Oldtimer. It's just Mr. Wilcox. You know him. Say, what goes on here? Are you expecting a cop? Don't tell him, kids. Don't tell him. What do you think we are, stool pigeons? <laughs> 
He's in a little jam with the FBI, Harlow, but... <laughs> we want to talk it over a little before he does anything rash. Well, talk it over with me. I'm sort of an FBI man myself. What do you mean you're sort of an FBI man? Well, that's my job. FBI. Floors brightened instantly. Ah. Just pour a few drops of Johnson's self-polishing glow coat on your linoleum, spread it around, let it dry, and presto. In 20 minutes or less, it's dried to a beautiful, sparkling finish. That's what I mean. I'm sort of a member of the kitchen police. Then you ain't. You ain't. You don't arrest people? <laughs> no, I don't, old-timer. I just try to get people to use glow coat to arrest the deterioration of their linoleum. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's pretty important now, when we have to conserve what we have and make things last. Why, when I think what an important part all the Johnson products play in the conservation program... I almost feel I am a government agent. No, don't say that, Sonny. Don't say it. <laughs> What's the matter with him, Molly? He's white as a sheet. Better just leave him alone, Mr. Wilcox. Yeah. Duck along, Junior. We'll handle this. See you later. Nothing I can do to help? No, thank you. And don't tell anybody you saw him here. Why not? But because the police are going to drag out the throw net for him. That's why. <laughs> McGee, how many times must I tell you it's throw out the drag net? Goodbye, Mr. Wilcox. You sure I can't be of any help? No, no, no. Beat it, will you? Scram. All right, all right, but you don't have to push me. Hey, kids, I've never been so scared in my born days. Well, brace up. Don't be such a scaredy cat. You're just a bundle of nerves. No, I am not, Johnny. I'm as cool as a cucumber. I'm as... Hey, what was that noise? Oh, I dropped a piece of yarn on the rug. <laughs> no, you're not nervous. You're as high strung as the George Washington Bridge. Now get that story off your mind while we got a moment's peace, will you? Okay. Glad the kids. I was born in Terre Haute, Indiana. Where they go, kids? Where they go? Let me crawl under the rug. Oh, fine. We'll tell them it's a Brussels carpet and you're the sprout. <laughs> go on back into the dining room. And stay off of that buzzer. I will, kids. I will. Come in. Oh, Mayor Latrivia. Come in, Mr. Mayor. Hello, Mr. McGee. Hello, McGee. Hi, Latriv. You're just the guy I wanted to talk to. Yes? Yes. I thought you'd cleaned up gambling in this town. I have. And if you know of any gambling joints, McGee, I hope you'll report them. Well, I'll give you one right now. How about Depopolis's restaurant? Heavenly days. Can you gamble in there? Brother, have you ever ordered their chicken croquettes? <laughs> oh, stop it, McGee. What do you want to see us about, Mr. Mayor? I just wanted your opinion of this little verse. It's to be printed on the back of the city water bills and sent to everyone. Oh, let's hear it. It says, Remember what happened in 1920 when people starved in the midst of plenty? We ought to be much smarter now. If we want milk, let's feed the cow. Let's all be ready when this is over and start today to plant the clover. Let's all buy bonds and pay our debts for the man what has is the man what gets. Well, my, my. I think that's wonderful, Mr. Mayor. Did you write that? Uh, no, no, it was sent in by a chap named Wimple, uh, Wallace Wimple. Oh, sure, old Wimp. We know him well, the trivia. Kind of a short, long fellow. You, uh, you approve of the idea, then? Oh, absolutely, Mr. Mayor. Splendid, splendid. Glad you like it. I thought I'd get your slant on it as a couple of average citizens. <laughs> Try it on the dog, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Take off your coat, Latrivia. Eh? You what can't for? call my wife a dog and get away with it. No, no, he didn't call me a dog, dearie. He's too much of a gentleman. He meant you. Oh, he did, did he? Put up your dukes, Latrivia. Oh, stop it, McGee. It was just an expression. Don't be silly. So, I'm being silly when I resent being insulted, eh? Now I'm a silly dog. Oh, you're not being logical, McGee. Uh, what do you mean, Mrs. McGee? You called him a dog. A dog is man's best friend. 
You don't fight with your friends, do you? Ah, uh, this gets worse and worse. I'm not only a silly dog, but now I'm a friendly one. You don't think I can fight, huh? Oh, stop waving your paws. Uh, I mean your fist. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I think it is, too. You better go, Mr. Mayor, before he bites you in the leg. <laughs> Come on, McGee. Mother will get you a nice big ham bone. That does it. The trivia, I'm going to beat you to a pulp for those insults. I'm going to pound you so flat I can mail you home. Oh, my. This ought to be very interesting. Well. Say, is it true that you are an intercollegiate boxing champion, Mr. Mayor? Quite true, Mrs. McGee. I'm going to hammer your odd-shaped skull till it rings like a... It is? <laughs> is what? True. Is what true? That you are the intercollegiate... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, aren't we being a bunch of rummies? <laughs> oh, dear. Flying off the handle like that. <laughs> well, I'm glad you dropped in, Latrivia. <laughs> Thanks. Good day, Mrs. McGee. Goodbye, Mr. Mayor. And McGee. Huh? Let's go out some afternoon and uh, bark at automobiles. <laughs> The King's Men sing Conchita Lopez. He was a handsome young Irish lad. She was a Mexican beauty. It was Fiesta and I might add romantically. He was on A boy and a girl need the stars I can tell it in 64 bars His Irish heart went bingo When he saw the Rose of Juarez So Timothy Carrigan, Michael O'Harrigan Fell for the Rose of Juarez Conchita, Marquita, Lolita, Pepita, Rosita, Juanita, Lopez Mandolins began to play Her lips were ready for a kiss and as they danced, I heard him happily say, New Jersey was never like this. Then the wedding bells began to ring, oh, and they rolled away on a mule. To prove I'm not joking, if you're in Hoboken, drop in for a minute and you'll meet Conchita, Marquita, Lolita, Pepita, Rosita, Juanita, O'Toole. Michael O'Harrigan, Finnegan, Hannigan, Patrick O'Fannigan, Mary the Pretty Marquita, Lolita, Pepita, Rosita, Juanita, Lopez. They played Charlie Jones. Also, some Neil Lance. There is Teresa, Maria, Elisa, and Patsy, and Molly, and Mike. And there is Pedro, and Sancho, and Carlos, and Pancho, and Timothy Jr., and Spike. The wedding bells are now just a memory. But still they're happy and gay To prove we're not joking Go round to Hoboken Drop in on the family someday Sure they'll steal your heart Away Okay, old-timer, all right, the coast is clear. You can come out now. Huh, thanks, kids. Who was it, and what did he want? It was the mayor. 
You wanted to get a free criticism on some poetry, cheapskate. Well, bachelors always take advantage of people, McGee. They're called on so often to fill out a bridge table, they think every fourth person in the world is a dummy. <laughs> well, be that as may or may not be or not. I want to hear what the old-timer here has got to say for himself. And it better be good, too, old-timer. Okay, Johnny. Well, sir, I was born in Terre Haute. Oh, hey, look, kids. I've been so scared today I ain't had a bite to eat. How's about sandwich, daughter? Why, of course, you poor thing. You come right with me. But, Molly, why can't we let him tell his story before Hush, he... dearie, hush. The poor man's hungry. You can't fire a gun without loading it. Oh, I see. I see. Before he shoots off his face, we gotta feed it. Okay, but keep the kitchen door shut, and if anybody comes in, I'll stall them off. Oh, thanks, Johnny. Just give me a bowl of soup, daughter. I'll be with the whole Bowl of soup, my clavicle. You ought to feed that guy a handful of animal crackers. If that monkey ain't lying, he's got his neck out like a giraffe. I wonder... Hi, mister. Huh? Oh, oh, hi, sis. I didn't hear you knock. I know it. I didn't knock. Why not? Hmm? Why didn't you knock? Well, gee, that'd be silly, mister, when you got a doorbell to ring. Well, then why didn't you ring the doorbell? I couldn't reach it. Then why didn't you knock? Look, mister, we've been all over that. <laughs> If you want somebody to ring your doorbell, you just wait till Halloween. You just wait, I betcha. Oh, lay off, sis, lay off. Anyway, you said you couldn't reach it. I can when Willie Toops boosts me up, I can. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we tried it last night. Oh, you did, huh? Mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of a dress rehearsal for Halloween, huh? Hmm? I says it was kind of a dress rehearsal. Only for me. Willie wears knickerbockers. <laughs> Look, sis, don't you know the real significance of Halloween? Hmm? Eh? What? What'd you say? What'd you hear? <laughs> Look, sis, every holiday is celebrated for a certain reason. Don't you know the real reason we celebrate Halloween? No. Why do we, mister? Why do we? Ah, that's better. An intelligent attitude like that deserves an intelligent answer. <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> we celebrate Halloween, sis, because... Uh, well, because it always... <laughs> yeah. It's to commemorate the... <coughs> yeah. Oh, it's too involved to go into right now. <laughs> I'm busy. You better run along. Have you got time for a poodle, hmm, have you? A what? A poodle. Where is it? Let me see it. You can't see it, mister. I tell it to you. You tell me? A poodle? Mm -hmm. What kind of double talk is this? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, mister, a poodle is a little riddle you can't get through your noodle. <laughs> you want to hear it? No, but I don't know how I can get out of it So go ahead Why do they make toy banks in the shape of pigs? Well, I'll sit still for that one, sis Why do they make piggy banks? Because sailors wear little white caps <laughs> I, I don't get it Well, gee, it's simple, mister huh? Sailors have little white caps And the sea has little white caps, too yeah. And it makes the waves pretty And my mother is pretty, too And she just joined the waves And the waves wash the beach And the beach is full of sand And so is spinach And farmers grow spinach And they have to get up at 5 o'clock And that's twirly And so is a pig's tail <laughs>
dullest silly twaddle I ever... Sailors have little twirly caps because spinach gets up at five o'clock with, with a pig full of sand. That don't make sense. Did I pig? hear you talking to somebody, dearie? Yeah, a little girl from across the street. Uh, how you feel now, old-timer? Fed up? You bet, Johnny. Yeah, so am I, with the whole thing. So get busy now and tell your story. Yes, Mr. Old-timer. You know, we've been very patient with you. If we can help you with a clear conscience, we'll do it, but we won't be parties to anything crooked. Now, go ahead and tell us. Well, it was like this, kids. Oh, I'm so ashamed. I wouldn't blame the FBI if they stood me up against a wall and shot me. Shot you for what? Well, I'm a hoarder. What? That's the way you hear it, daughter. I'm a hoarder. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. I know it, Johnny. I know. I know. Yes, you know very well that hoarding causes shortages, and shortages cause prices to go up. It's greedy and selfish and un-American, and who do you think you are to need so much more of anything than somebody else? Pour it on, daughter, pour it on. <laughs> I deserve it, but it all started so easy. You see, I had four of them to start with, then I thought I'd get me a spare. Oh, I begin to see. Then when I had me a spare, I, I thought I'd hide some away, and I knew a fellow that'd give them to me at... 25% discount, and I couldn't resist it, and I kept buying them and buying uh, them. I got hundreds of them all over the house. A fine thing with the country as desperate for tires as it is now. You have to go... Tires? I ain't hoarding tires. Well, what are you hoarding? United States war bond. <laughs> United States war bond. Why, of all the... Do you think they'll shoot me, Johnny, with all the people wanting war bonds and me grabbing them up? I didn't know what I was doing. said by our enemies that we are a soft, wasteful people. Well, let them have what solace they can get out of that thought, because by now they've learned that we are anything but soft. Before we're through with them, they'll know that we were only wasteful because we have had so much of everything, such a high standard of living. But every day, in talking with friends and neighbors, you realize that we can certainly make whatever sacrifices we are called upon to make. Also, that it's probably very good for us to be more saving and learn to take better care of our things. I read a good many letters these days from housewives who tell us how grateful they are for Johnson's Wax in these days of conservation, how careful they are to protect their floors, furniture and woodwork, and many other things with regular applications of Johnson's Paste, Liquid, or Cream Wax. <laughs> Mr. Wilkie on the radio last night? Yes, I did. What did he have to say? He made a very interesting speech. He says the world isn't as big as it used to be, and after this war, we all got to be neighbors. Oh, hands across the sea, you mean? Yeah. First arms and then hands. 
Good night. Good night, all. The character of the old-timer heard on this program was played by Bill Thompson. This is Harlow Wilcox speaking for the makers of Johnson Wax Finishes for the home and industry, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This program has reached you from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company. And that's Fibber McGee and Molly starring Jim and Marion Jordan from October 27, 1942. Also in the cast, Bill Thompson, Isabel Randolph, and Gail Gordon with Harlow Wilcox announcing for Johnson's Wax as heard over NBC. We have more than 100,000 classic radio episodes under license from the owners and estates and are provided the master recordings. Through special arrangement with the rights holders, these radio episodes are heard on this podcast and sent to members of the Classic Radio Club. Support this podcast by joining the Classic Radio Club, where you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent to you each month via digital download or on five CDs, along with historical liner notes. You'll receive your first 10 classic radio shows for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about joining the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. That's 815-900-7535. I'll have a comedy episode of The Great Gildersleeve starring Harold Perry for you after this short break. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Lone Ranger, Sam Spade, Burns and Allen, Have Gun, Will Travel, Gangbusters, and Sherlock Holmes, become a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, you'll receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows along with historical liner notes. The 10 shows will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. You'll also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Carl Amari and I co host. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve was a pompous windbag who first appeared as Fibber's next-door neighbor on the Fibber McGee and Molly radio series. Fibber and Gildersleeve's verbal and physical tussles gave rise to one of radio's immortal catchphrases, You're a hard man, McGee. From 1939 to 1941, Hal Perry perfected Gildersleeve's trademark snide laugh, and Don Quinn, co-creator of Fibber McGee and Molly, knew that radio's first spinoff was around the corner. In 1941, under the sponsorship of Kraft Foods, The Great Gildersleeve premiered, becoming a joyful occasion for radio listeners who could never get enough of him on Fibber McGee and Molly. In the opening broadcast, Gildersleeve moved from the town of Wistful Vista to his new home in Summerfield. 
Soon after, he became the town's water commissioner and set about to raising his orphan niece and nephew. The small-town personalities who peopled Gildersleeve's world were artfully tailored for comedy effect. Walter Tetley was the impish, bright-voiced nephew Leroy, Louise Erickson was the adolescent niece Marjorie, Lillian Randolph the bedeviled maid Bertie, Richard Legrand played Peavy the sardonic druggist, and Earl Ross was Judge Hooker. And throughout the run, Gildersleeve always seemed to have a complicated love life, dating a bevy of women but never settling down. In 1950, when Perry left for another network and a promising new radio show, Willard Waterman took over the role and continued as Gildersleeve when the series made a transition to television in 1954. In this episode, Leela is throwing a party, so Gildy plans on wearing his tuxedo. Here's The Great Gildersleeve starring Hal Perry from April 22, 1945. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> you bet. The Kraft Cheese Company, makers of parquet margarine and a complete line of famous quality food products, presents Harold Perry as The Great Gildersleeve. Kraft brings you The Great Gildersleeve every week at this time, written by John Whedon and Sam Moore, with music by Claude Sweet. We'll hear from The Great Gildersleeve in just a moment. But first, let's see how quickly you boys and girls listening in can guess the food I'm about to describe. Now, this food is high in energy value. It's a food you enjoy at every meal, and it makes bread, toast, and rolls taste extra good. Oh, yes, and it's made by Kraft. You guessed it yet? Well, you boys and girls who said parquet margarine can go to the head of the class and say you can tell Mother there's no guessing about which spread will please your taste. Once you've tried parquet and find out how good it tastes, you'll know why parquet's fresh, delicate flavor is preferred in millions of American homes. Remember, too, that every pound of parquet contains 9,000 units of important vitamin A. So ask Mother to buy parquet, P-A-R-K-A-Y, the nourishing spread that tastes so good. Parquet margarine, made by Kraft. Now let's see what goes on in Summerfield. Ah, yes, in the society column of the Summerfield Indicator appears this item. Hi-ho! The post-Lenten social season is in full swing these days, and everything is gay, gay. One of the highlights of the season occurred last evening at the charming home of prominent Mrs. Leela Ransom, who supported the war effort with an informal reception and buffet supper in honor of prominent Ah, Mr. Ah, but we're getting ahead of our story. Let's go back a day. Let's go back a day and up one flight to the bedroom of Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve, where that prominent figure finds himself cornered by his niece and nephew. How about it, Uncle? Yes, Uncle Mort, how about it? You've been putting it off and putting it off. You said a week ago, you promised. And this is the day they're collecting the clothes. The high school's sending a truck around. Now, and... just a minute, one at a time. Well, I asked him first. I get the most. You do not. We divide it evenly. I don't see where you well, got I am entitled to just it, exactly it, it, One at a time, one at a time. One at a time. I mean, excuse me, Bertie. Uh, Mr. Gilfrey, why are you at it? Yes? I'm getting the clothes ready for the mall. Uh, you got anything you want to care of? <laughs> well, yes, Bertie. 
I've got a few things in my closet here. My tuxedo, for instance. Uncle Mort, you'll never wear that tuxedo again. Now, why don't you give that to the drive? Me, me, I got the tuxedo. Oh, no, you don't. Now, wait a minute. Whoop. Leroy, pick up that tuxedo. It slipped off the hanger, Uncle. I didn't even touch it. Pick it up. I was gonna. Bring it here. Okay. Gee, look at it. My goodness, I got to dust out that closet. Doesn't matter if it's a little dusty, young. The Russians won't care. Just for that, I think you ought to give it to me. Nothing doing. I need it more than she does, Unc. If we bring 50 pounds of clothes to school for the drive, we get a free ticket to the movies. Objective Burma. It's neat. Harold Flynn But our gets school us... is collecting today, Uncle Mort. The truck's coming around this morning. Wait a minute. A free ticket, Unc. Objective Burma. Errol Flynn. The clothes are for the Russians. They're not for Errol Flynn. <laughs> Hold on now. The clothes are mine, so keep your shirt on, both of you. I'll decide what's to be done with them. But, Uncle, if I bring 50 pounds to school, I get a free ticket to the movies. I heard that, Leroy. Objective Burma. I heard that, too. Errol Flynn. Errol, I know. <laughs> Bertie. Yes, sir? Take the tuxedo downstairs. Hang it on the line and air it thoroughly. Then put it in mothballs. Oh. Oh, Uncle Mort, you'll never wear it. Well, what about it, Miss Gilsey? Take the tuxedo downstairs. Yes, Now let's see what I can give away here. Ought to have a light put in this closet. I can't even... Oh, please! Take it easy, Unc. Too many hangers in here. Too many clothes. Got a good mind to give them all away. Here, take this somebody. I get that, Marge. You gave it to me, I get it. Nobody gets it till I see what it is. It's your old army uniform. Oh, I can't let that go. Now, Uncle Mort, what possible use is that? My dear, this war isn't over yet. No, but it will be the day they take you. <laughs> is that so? Let me out of here. Just for that young man, Marjorie gets the uniform. No fair. You can have the next thing. How about this, Uncle Mort? Those are my golf knickers. But you never play golf. Well, I might. I have to beat Judge Hooker every so often just to keep him in his place, the old goat. Besides, the Russians haven't got time to play golf. That's not the point. There's material enough in those knickers to make suits for three or four children. I think you exaggerate, my dear. <laughs> I'll put them aside. I'll think about them. Next. Well, how about these, these pants? Oh, no, those are my working pants. I wear those when I work around the house. You haven't used them in five years. <laughs> hmm. On second thought, I guess I'll let them go. You're growing up now, Leroy. Time you learn to do a few things around the place. He. <laughs> Here, catch, Leroy. They're yours. Now, what else? Let's see. How about this? Are you crazy? That's what I wear to church. And I'm going next Sunday. <laughs> well, that's all then. Gosh, is this all we get, Unc? Just the uniform and the pants? With all those people freezing over there? Well, it isn't very much, is it? No, it's not. Uncle Mort, now that tuxedo. You don't really need that. Not really. Well. All right. Bertie! Oh, Bertie! You come, excuse me? Yeah, you got that tuxedo down there? Yes, sir. Well, I've changed my mind, Bertie. Bring it up. Okay. Here it is, Mr. Gilsey. I gave it a good brush, and I'm just going to hang it out on the line. By George, that's a handsome outfit. You know it, Bertie? Yes, it sure is. You know, I hate to let it go. <laughs> Well, goodbye, old Tux. Let's have it, Unc. Now, just a minute. Yes, sir. Some of the happiest hours of my life were spent in that tuxedo. The only suit I ever had made to order. 
Cost me $75. Look at those lapels, Marjorie. Real silk. You don't see that anymore. In that vest. Silk brocade, top to bottom. Look at the jacket. Look at the way it hangs, even on the hanger. Uh, that style. What's a peanut bar doing in the pocket? Can I have it, Unc? What, the peanut bar? I'm afraid it's pretty stale, my boy. Can't be too stale for me. Yeah, you may be right. I don't want to rush you, Uncle Mort, but the truck will be coming by here any minute, so we ought to bundle up the clothes and be ready. Now, just a minute. I haven't entirely made up my mind. You mean you're not going to let us have the tuxedo? Well, I don't know. Cost me $75. I don't care what it costs. You never wear it and you don't need it. Not the way the Russians do. Confound it. What do the Russians want with my tuxedo? It isn't just the Russians. I suppose Stalin is going to wear it to state functions. <laughs> I suppose he needs it to go to San Francisco. Stalin isn't going to San Francisco. Well, neither is my tuxedo. <laughs> Bertie, take it down again and hang it on the line. Up and down, up and down. Take it away. Bring it back. I declare this house gets crazy all the time. Oh, my goodness, now what's that? Doorbell, doorbell. I'm coming! All day long, up and down, up and down. Yoo-hoo, anybody home? Oh, it's Mrs. Ransom. Hey, wait a minute, Bertie, I'll go. Uncle Mort, what about the tuxedo? Can we have it? Oh, yeah, yeah, don't bother me now. Well, Leela. I hope you'll forgive me barging in like this, Shark Martin. Uh, glad to see you anytime. <laughs> Hey, come in and sit down. Oh, I couldn't. You're just going to hate me when you know what I came over for, Throckmorton. Yeah. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> well, I've come to steal Bertie. What? Oh, you needn't be frightened. It's just for the evening. But I've got to have help because I'm giving a party. Party? Mm, all of a sudden, yes. A buffet supper. You're invited, of course. I'm giving it for an old, old friend of mine who's just come to town. James Eustace Calhoun. James Eustace Calhoun? Calhoun. James Eustace Calhoun. Never heard of him. Uh, you wouldn't, of course. He was a friend of my late husband's. James Eustace and Beauregard grew up together down in Savannah. Oh, friend of Beauregard's, huh? Mm, his best friend. He's sort of related by marriage to my cousin Tupper Hathaway. Oh, he was terribly in love with me at one time, but then so was George William Hungerford. <laughs> they were so cute. <laughs> They used to call on me together, James Eustace and George William. I just couldn't make up my mind between them. But then along came Beauregard and settled the whole thing. Oh. Uh, is that the doorbell? Yeah, pardon me. Bertie, doorbell. I'm coming. <laughs> Bertie's been having a hard day. Uh, okay. Miss Marge, is the truck yet? Well, I've got to be running along, Throckmorton. You will come to my party, won't you? You bet. I'll be there. And you promise not to be jealous. Jealous of what? James Eustace Calhoun. Why should I be jealous of him? Well, gracious, he's so handsome. Hmm. Looks aren't everything. Mm, and he's the loveliest dancer. What do I care? I'm not going to dance with him. <laughs> <laughs> Silly. He has the most elegant manners. He's a diplomat, you know. Oh, he is, eh? What's he doing up here? Well, I don't know exactly, but it's for the government. It's terribly secret, I suppose. Anyway, I'm so excited. I just can't wait till I see him again. I know you'll be impressed by him, Throckmorton. Well, I've met diplomats before. I shook hands with Jim Farley once. Oh, but James Eustace is different. Hmm? More the lean, handsome type. I just love the way he dresses. 
You know, so few men know how to dress well. He wears imported tweeds and things like that. Oh, simply divine. But gracious, here I'm rambling on. Oh, there's one thing, Throckmorton. Yeah? Uh, as the hostess, naturally, I'll be looking after James Eustace most of the evening, so... What about me? Well, I thought if you wouldn't mind taking Eve Goodwin, I told her you'd call for her. Now, wait a minute. Maybe I don't want to take Eve Goodwin. Well, I think she's terribly attractive, but of course, if you don't want to, I'm sure Judge Hooker would be only... Now, hold on. I didn't say I wouldn't. After all, Eve and I are good friends. I'll call for her, sure. Only... Gosh. Rock Martin, I'm afraid you're just a teensy bit jealous. I am not. <laughs> you be nice to James Eustace now, and don't let me catch you boys fighting over me, you hear? Goodbye now, don't forget. Uh, Bertie, I expect I'll be seeing you this evening. Yes, ma'am, if you want me. Won't you? I don't know what I'd do without you. James Eustace Calhoun. <laughs> Sounds like a gigolo to me. Such a gorgeous dancer. But he can't sing a note. But he can't even carry a tune. If he's so tall and handsome, why isn't he in uniform instead of walking around in tweeds? Thinks he's such a fancy dresser. Why, George, I could show her and show James Eustace. Uncle Mort, are they still there? Is who still where? The men with the truck for the clothes drive. They're waiting out here. Oh, thank goodness. Hey, wait, wait. Bertie, stop her, stop her. Bring back that tuxedo. But, Uncle Mort, you promised the Russians. Don't worry about the Russians. They're the best-dressed people in Berlin right now. <laughs> this is one time I gotta have that tuxedo. The great Gildersleeve will be with us again in just a few seconds. You know, most American families are big bread eaters. And if yours is a family of average size, they may eat as many as six loaves of bread a week. Now, that adds up to a lot of slices. And it can add up to a lot of good eating enjoyment, too, when you spread slices of bread and toast and sandwiches with delicious parquet margarine. Parquet's fresh, delicate flavor really satisfies. Makes bread rolls, pancakes, and waffles taste so good, you'll want to eat more. And as for good nutrition, listen to this. Economical parquet is actually one of the best energy foods you can eat. What's more, every single pound of parquet is guaranteed to contain 9,000 units of important vitamin A. So for flavor that really satisfies for energy and vitamin A, be sure to buy parquet. P-A-R-K-A-Y, parquet margarine. Ask for the spread that tastes so good. Parquet made by Kraft. Get back to the great Gildersleeve, who's donned his finery and is now on his way to Leela Ransom's party. In a few moments, he'll be calling for Miss Eve Goodwin, but first we find him stopping off at Peavy's drugstore for a cigar. Oh, pardon me, Peavy's pharmacist. Oh, hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. Well, greetings, Peavy. Greetings and salutations. Hmm, I judge from your get-up, you're going to some kind of a party. What do you mean, get-up? Yeah, tuxedo, boiled shirt, and brocaded vest. Are those pearl studs on the vest, Mr. Gildersleeve? Well, mother of pearl. Pearl's a little ostentatious. I can't say. Is this a meeting or just a social affair? Oh, purely social, Peavy. Mrs. Ransom is giving a reception for some bigwig from Washington. I guess she wants to impress him. You know how these fellows are. They'd rather dress than eat. No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> yes, they would. 
Those fellas put on a cutaway to go out and sit in the backyard. But I'll show him he's not visiting a bunch of hayseeds out here. Ever see my gold cigar cutter? There. Well, I was wondering what you had on the end of that chain. My grandfather's gold watch is on the other end. Doesn't keep time anymore, but it looks, well, substantial. It looks substantial, all right. Must weigh a pound and a half. <laughs> Where'd you get the walking stick, Mr. Gildersleeve? It's quite some time since I've seen a gold-headed cane. Long to my great-uncle Albert. The gold knob's a little loose, but it stays on if you know how to hold it. Yeah, maybe a little mucilage would help. No, not necessary. I'll put the knob in my pocket when I get there. <laughs> Let's see, uh, what did I come in here for? Oh, yes, yes, cigars. I want the most expensive cigars you have, Peavy. Yes, sir. You mean the three for half? Is that the best you can do? Well, no, but that's as high as you've ever gone, Mr. Gildersleeve. I'm establishing a new ceiling, Peavy. The sky is the limit. Well, I've got a cigar here that costs 50 cents straight. Hmm. How does it look to you? No band. No, sir. This particular cigar doesn't carry a band. Well, then how's anybody going to know it costs 50 cents? <laughs> well, I could tie a little price tag around it. <laughs> What? Oh, don't try to be funny, Peavy. Just give me six of those three for half. Then I'll know where I stand, and so will everybody else. That's okay. That'll be one dollar plus the tax. I'll just put them in my cigar case. Oh, that's very handsome. Leather. This part here is gold-filled. You don't say. Uh, one dollar plus the tax, Mr. Gilbert. I'm trying to get the money, Peavy. <laughs> Got my change in my watch pocket here, if I can... Maybe if you took your gloves off, you could... No charge it, Peavy. That charge it shall be. Well, have a good time, Mr. Gildersleeve. I will, Peavy. I'll be the belle of the ball and the queen of the May. Queen of the May. Looks like a monkey on a stick. Women. All they think of is dressing up like a plush horse. Well, might as well sit down and be comfortable. <laughs> Vest is getting a little tight. Still, it makes me look slender. <sighs> How have you been, Eve? I've been fine, Doc Morton. How have you been? Fine. What dickens are you putting on that takes so long? I'm going to show you right now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What's the matter? <laughs> Nothing. Huh? <laughs> I thought maybe there was something the matter with my clothes. Oh, no. They're perfect. Uh, how do I look? Say, pretty tasty. Is that a new dress, or did you just have it tightened? <laughs> 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 Only joking, of course, Eve. Come on, we'll be the handsomest couple ever seen in Summerfield. Uh, have to be careful getting up and down. Good evening, Mr. Gildersleeve. Evening, Miss Goodwin. Well, hello, Bertie. Fancy finding you here. Good evening, Bertie. May I take your wraps, folks? 
The drawing room is right to the left. Drawing room? It's the parlor. Oh, yeah. Martin, what on earth have you got on? Come here, everybody, and look at Frostmorton. <laughs> Leela. Well, well, Gildy, you look just like a waiter. <laughs> What's the matter, Judge? <laughs> Don't you own a tuxedo? I'm afraid you're the only man that's dressed up, Throckmorton. I am? What happened to the diplomat? Oh, my land, aren't I terrible? Here we are all standing out here, and my guest of honor's all by himself in the drawing room. Come in, everybody, and meet him. Come on, now. Uh, you suppose that's the fellow, Eve? He's the only stranger inside. An old tweed suit. Ha! Oh, come here and meet Mr. Calhoun, Eve. Miss Goodwin, Mr. James Eustace Calhoun. How do you do? I'm totally charmed, Miss Goodwin. Oh, brother. <laughs> and Mr. Gildersleeve, Mr. Calhoun, and Mr. Calhoun from Washington, Throckmorton. I know. How do you do? I'm proud and happy to meet you, sir. I understand you're in government yourself, sir. A government? Oh, yes, yes. I'm a servant of the people like yourself, Mr. Calhoun. <laughs> yeah. A government service is a tradition in my family, Mr. Gildersleeve. Uh, wasn't your grandfather a governor, James Eustace? Uh, on my mother's side, yes, Leela. Well, my grandfather was a deputy sheriff. I see. Uh, won't you ladies have a chair, uh, Miss Goodwin? Thank you. Here, let me get a chair for you, Leela. And I was getting her a chair, Horace. Oh, now, now, boys, don't you fight over me, here. Oh, I, I wonder if y'all would excuse me a minute. There's something I forgot to ask my maid. Certainly. Oh, now, don't get up, James Eustace. I'll be right back. Charming woman, charming Summerfield seems to have more than its share of charming ladies, if I may say so, Miss Goodwin. Oh, is that the diplomat speaking, Mr. Calhoun? The diplomat? Mrs. Ransom tells me you're with the State Department down in Washington. Well, not exactly. I'm in the personnel division of the WVD. Oh, what's that? Uh, one of the war agencies. Most of our work is confidential. Oh, it must be awfully interesting. It is, ma'am. I'd love to hear about it. It's not as interesting to me at the moment, ma'am, as you are. Uh, could I have the pleasure of dancing with you? Oh, I didn't know there was dancing. We've rolled up the rug in the dining room. The phonograph is in there, if you do me the honor. Well, that sounds lovely. You'll excuse me, Throckmorton. Oh, sure. Don't get up. I wasn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry back, Eve. I shall return your lady unharmed, Mr. Gildersleeve. Hmm. Just wants to show off what a good dancer he is. How do you know he's a good dancer? Leela says he's a regular Vernon Castle. I'd know anyway. All these slick fellows that talk that way are good dancers. I hate them. Uh, look at him. Bowing and smiling. And wearing an old tweed suit. Tss. Calhoun, I must say you're a marvelous dancer. Isn't it simply divine? Oh, stop or we'll spoil it. I'm afraid you ladies have already spoiled me for dancing with ordinary partners. Throckmorton, why aren't you dancing? I don't want to. Oh, come on, Throckmorton. I just love the way you swing me around. <laughs> he almost frightens me to death, James Houston. Well, I imagine Mr. Gildersleeve is a beautiful dancer. Well, I've had a few compliments in my time. Eve? Would you do me the honor? Oh, I wish you'd excuse me for a few minutes, Doc Morton. I'm a little out of breath. Oh. 
Well, how about you, Leela? Shall we uh, tread a measure? Oh, let's just talk for a minute, shall we? I'm dying to know just what James Eustace does down there in Washington. Oh, my job is mostly routine, Leela. Signing reports, filling out forms, and so on. I imagine the judge here has a much more interesting job than I have. What about me? I find the bench very satisfactory, Mr. Calhoun. A judge gets a chance to study human nature. I've always believed, as the poet said, that the proper study of mankind is man. Very true, Judge, very true. Well, now, as water commissioner, If I... you will uh, permit me, Gildy, Mr. Calhoun, a judge sees a good deal of human flotsam and jetsam in the course of a year. A water commissioner sees plenty, too. Gildy. But the fellow that reads the meters, he sees everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to tell Mr. Calhoun of an interesting case that came up in the winter term. Oh, how? How would it be if I'd sing, Leela, as long as everybody's too tired to dance? Tired? Mercy, I'm not tired, Throckmorton. Well, uh, Come on, James Eustace, let's dine, shall we? Your wish is my command, Leela. How about a lovely romantic waltz this time? I always love waltzing with you. I always love waltzing with you. <laughs> Bureaucrat. Now, Throckmorton, I think he's very nice. Would you like to dance? Sure. Uh, guess I better not, Eve. This coat's a little tight, and if I raise my arms, oh. zip. Eve, could I have the pleasure? Oh, I certainly, Judge. Oh. Excuse us, Gildy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether I mentioned it, Mr. Calhoun, but I sing a little. That's a grand gift, Mr. Gildersleeve. I envy you, sir. As I was saying, Miss Goodwin, one of my closest friends is a very important man in the Navy Department. Eve, wouldn't you like to hear me sing? I have, Throckmorton. And this friend of mine remarked the other day that, in his opinion, we'll have regular plane service across the Atlantic within five years. I wouldn't want that to get around, of course. I won't tell a soul. What's going on in here, secret? Leela, wouldn't you like to hear me sing? Well, later, Throckmorton, we're going to have supper night. Supper? Well, uh, just one short song then, huh? Kind of relax everybody before they eat? Well, I'm not sure it would, Throckmorton. You put so much into your singing. Oh, come on, Leela. You play for me. Well, everybody else wants you to, do they? Well, they all love music, don't they? I do, and I'd like to hear you sing anyway, Gilda. <laughs> I'd rather hear you than listen to any more of Calhoun's conversation. Yeah, well, thank you, Judge. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve has consented to favor us with a vocal selection. Well, that's just fine. You'll be accompanied at the piano by our charming host. How lovely. I shall endeavor to present the dramatic ballad, Chloe. Leela? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a very good key. <clears throat> Chloe. Oop. <laughs> Mother of Pearl Stud, grab it, Horace. <laughs> Chloe. I've, I've got a truck, Morton. Someone calling, no reply. Night shades falling, hear him sigh. Chloe. No, that was a pants button. I'm going home and change my clothes.
gave my tuxedo to the United National Clothing Drive after all. And then I found they don't want tuxedos. So I'm stuck with it. <laughs> uh, seriously, there are millions of people in Europe who need clothing desperately. It's hard for us to realize over here, but it's a fact that many people in Europe have died from exposure. So go through your closets, dig out the stuff that's still good, that you don't really need, and turn it into the local committee of the United National Clothing Collection. Ask yourself, what can I spare that they can wear? And then give generously. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. Music on this program was directed by Claude Sweet. Ken Carpenter speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company, makers of parquet margarine and a complete line of famous quality food products. Kraft would like to listen again next week for the further adventures of the Great Gildersleeve. wonderful help in menu planning. It's Pabstet, the delicious golden cheese food. The cheese food that's so nourishing, so easy to digest, so useful in a hundred appetizing ways. For a tempting main dish, blend Pabstet's mellow cheddar cheese flavor into nourishing, economical macaroni and au gratin dishes. Or melt Pabstet into a smooth, luscious cheese sauce to pour over vegetables, hard-cooked eggs, chicken, or fish. For lunchbox sandwiches or after-school treats, Spread delicious Pabstead on graham crackers or between layers of white or whole wheat bread. There's actually a hundred different ways to please your family with Pabstead. And remember, Pabstead supplies many important food elements, muscle-building protein, milk minerals, vitamin A, and the important vitamin called riboflavin. So for delightful menu surprises, buy wholesome, nourishing Pabstead. Whenever you can, serve this delicious golden cheese food, Pabstead. National Broadcasting Company. That's The Great Gildersleeve, starring Hal Perry from April 22, 1945. Also in the cast, Shirley Mitchell, Louise Erickson, Walter Tetley, Lillian Randolph, B. Benaderet, and Earl Ross, with Ken Carpenter announcing for Kraft, as heard over NBC. After this short break, I'll give you our lineup for Episode 9 of Retro Radio Theater. Next time on Episode 9 of Retro Radio Theater, it's two variety radio episodes, the Philco Radio Time with Bing Crosby and Command Performance with John Charles Thomas, so don't miss it. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts or visit us on SeniorResource.com, your number one source for retirement planning, caregiving tips, and living your best. Retro Radio Theater is a copyrighted series produced by yours truly, Carl Amari, for Retro Entertainment. Mike Costella is the executive producer. We invite you to support this podcast by joining the Classic Radio Club. Members receive 10 classic radio shows via digital download, or on five CDs each month, along with historical liner notes. Learn more at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. See you next time, and thanks for listening.
Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.